Welcome everyone to Moving Mountains. Today we get to learn about competitive video gameplay from Ron Hamlin. He is the owner of Virtual Reload, a esports and events company located in Greenville, South Carolina. Esports is seen as a form of sports with organized teams, virtual coaches, professional coaches, and world-class players. The industry provides a brand new experience for younger generations captivated with this new sport. Today, Ron will join us to help us unpack why everyone should take note. Help me welcome Ron Hamlin. Welcome, Ron and Evan, to Moving Mountains. Hi, thanks for having us. Since we have two members participating today and two wonderful guests, would you be kind in introducing yourself and what role you represent at Virtual Reload? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Evan McGraw. Uh, I am the, the Chief Operating Officer for Virtual Reload and Ron's business partner. And I am Ron Hamlin, founder and CEO of Virtual Reload. Can you take us back to the history of Virtual Reload? How did the eSport gaming company and your interests come into your path? How did you take that? idea from conceptualization to launching a company that represents a billion dollar industry. Yeah. So I was trying to come up with a new business idea for this area. We're in Greenville, South Carolina. My initial um, thought was just running something like a modern land center with uh, high-end gaming PCs. Had not known about what esports was at the time. And I went to a gaming event here in town called the Southeast Game Exchange. And I met uh, a shoutcaster, Jordan. Fitzpatrick, who, and what a shoutcaster is, the person that calls out the events that's going on within an esport game, um, similar to what you might experience with your sports announcer for basketball or football or any other title like that. Um, and he told me all about what esports was and the opportunity that exists. And at the time, there was maybe around 100 colleges in the nation that were that had programs and scholarships. Um, and I saw that as an immediate opportunity to um, help elevate youth into um, higher education. And Evan, what is your relationship with eSport? Yeah, um, so I have a, a technology and business development background. And uh, in, in the technology company that I worked with uh, prior to meeting Ron, uh, we had sponsored several professional eSports players and uh, also had the opportunity to sponsor other eSports uh, events as well. And I, I grew up um, playing games just like Ron. And uh, saw that there was definitely a lack of infrastructure around helping players who are good at esports to excel and then find opportunities um, utilizing their skills. And so when I met Ron at a networking event, uh, we shared the same vision and uh, the rest is history, as I say. So for those who are new and learning about this particular industry in the type of sports, what is the general demographic in terms of the gender ratio, the age group, how young are the competitors? Um, the, that's a broad question. Um, we actually see about 50-50 uh, female and male players in the overall uh, world of esports. So they're, they're pretty much right, right split in half. The age group is anywhere from mid-teens to uh, mid-20s. 
or thereabouts. How are these students initially introduced to esports? Is it through a social group or are there members from your organization that goes out and per se lobbies in these educational districts? Yeah, that's the second is really uh, what, it, what it comes down to. So kids, kids probably know about esports before their parents do and before their school does. Um, but the, there's a stage where they're just finding the game they want to play. But then when they really lock into something, um, the, the, the opportunity for them to get involved in an organized team is at this point in time somewhat limited at the high school or middle school level because there's not a, not a lot of adaptation into the schools for this. Um, so that's one of our roles is to educate the, um, the school systems and show them how this can be good for their kids um, because it's a really great uh, attraction. For the kids, uh, we see uh, growth in GPA. We see greater attendance in school whenever they do join an organized team. And Evan, uh, what are some of the challenges that you foresee in the industry for new companies and other interested people who want to invest in it? Is there a high return on investment upfront, or is this something that you play for the long run? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely the latter. Uh, so, and also the the biggest issue with um, you know getting esports programs up off the ground is that there isn't uh, the same buy-in as more traditional sports for esports. It's not seen as um, yeah, a physical activity or um, you know something that is really invested in by some of the the current. Um, uh, Institutions, so um, schools don't really have a, a strong esports presence. Uh, the parks and rec departments, for example, uh, don't really have a strong esports presence. So uh, a lot of it is uh, you know, greenfield. So what we're trying to do in in addition to creating these programs is really educating everybody about the uh, the benefits of esports and how adding an extracurricular can really help serve a, a really underserved community right now of uh, players who are good at esports not necessarily uh, athletic enough in order to you know make other um, teams so to speak so uh, you know at the, the high school middle school or uh, elementary school level so what is uh, our biggest challenge right now is uh, you know, it, Informing, um, you know, the people who hold the purse strings, right, <laughs> who have the uh, the ability to invest in these programs, uh, and uh, you know, giving them to you know invest in the players as well. When selling the idea of esports, mm-hmm. what are some factors or studies that you rely on? Do you rely on cognitive studies, health and wellness, compared to selling the idea of bringing basketball to a community? Uh, yeah, no, that, that's a great question. So uh, we have relied on some studies from uh, the national. At, um, uh, Ron, help me. What's the uh, NACE? Uh, NACE is at uh, National Association, national Association of Collegiate Esports. Uh, yep. E-sports. And then there's mm-hmm. also the Federation of, uh, not Federation of Esports. Um, the Esports Foundation, I believe, is the other one. That's the one that has all the uh, high school attendance kind of studies going on. Yes, absolutely. And so they have... Um, uh, you know, work together with uh, some research organizations and uh, found that, uh, Ron had already mentioned them, that there are uh, cognitive benefits to being um, on an esports team. Um, it increases the average GPA for all the players. Uh, there's also uh, you know, an increase in the uh, attendance of players uh, at their respective schools uh, when they know that there is a um, you know, something to play for, uh, you know, like a spot on the team, for example, um, being coached up in that particular uh, game. So uh, I would say, you know, we rely on those uh, entities who have been around for a little while, 
Um, but uh, you know, again, haven't quite gotten the traction for you know helping uh, these programs or these institutions create these programs, and so that's the the gap that we're trying to fill. In terms of the logistics of the competitive video gameplay, how does it work? Are there players divided into teams, or is it an individual sport? That depends on the title we're talking about, and there are both. Uh, so a game like um, Smash Brothers would be an individual game, so it's one on one. But a game like Rocket League or League of Legends would be uh, three on a team or five on a team, depending on which game. So um, there, and and then also the genre of titles are spread across multiple game styles. Um, you do have your traditional sport titles, so like Madden for football, NBA 2K for basketball, and you play with those teams to compete as well. So you know, going back to one of your earlier questions about the barriers, uh, there are a lot of different variations of esports, as Ron had just mentioned. So if you're going to uh, an institution and saying that you like to help set up an esports program, they're more than likely going to assume that, okay, we'll just tack on esports to our athletic department. But because there are so many different types and styles of games, uh, what we're really suggesting to them is starting a whole new uh, esports uh, department. So, uh, you know, it requires different types of coaches that have different types of skills and administrators and things like that. So um, there is a little bit of a barrier to entry there. Um, but, you know, it offers a, a lot of opportunities as well. You can have just as many um, kids involved in an esports program as you could have in your entire athletics department. Because there are some sports that accommodate the special needs audience. Is mm-hmm. there a certain type of accommodation available or does it even exist in the sport at the moment? I would say that there is an accommodation, maybe not necessarily from the perspective of the organized esports overall, but the access to get into playing such a game. Um, there are multiple ways that someone with some sort of uh, disability can still active, actively play um, all of these titles. They have adaptive controllers. I've actually, um, I came across a Twitch uh, feed of, of a gamer who looks like, he, I believe is a quadriplegic, and he plays games with a straw, essentially. And he plays very well. He plays uh, very fast-paced with what first-person shooter games um, doing that. So there, there's multiple ways that people with disabilities can still participate. And the wonderful work that you guys are doing through Virtual Reload is also welcoming sponsors. Does most of that money go to the college scholarships, or are there other different ways of raising money for the scholarship? Well, at the moment, the scholarships that exist for the colleges are either provided by the colleges themselves, similar to what they would provide, say, a football or basketball player. Um, But then there are also other programs. We don't yet provide our own funding for scholarships. but that is something we are wanting to get into. I noticed that you have a few uh, coaches represented on virtualreload.com. What are the prerequisites for these coaches joining your organization? And what exactly do they do when training slash coaching your players? So, um, you know, prerequisites that we look for when we're interviewing coaches is uh, having um, you know, obviously experience in the particular title that they're coaching. And again, we uh, we try to really specify uh, you know which coaches are belong to which title because you really need to have invested quite a bit of uh, time in, in mastery of that particular game. Um, so, for example, if there are um, you know forty some odd esports out there, um, we'll have a, a specific coach per uh, per title. 
And we'd also like to see that uh, they have some kind of experience working with children uh, in either in an educational uh, or athletic background. A lot of our coaches do. They've uh, they've coached other sports in the past. Uh, many of our coaches, especially the ones that we work with now, have experience as uh, professional esports players, and also uh, have experience coaching in other at other schools and uh, other professional organizations around. Um, the world. And so, you know, part of what we're doing is, uh, you know, helping uh, coach up esports players so that they can have additional opportunities later on. And we're also you know, fulfilling that role of being the additional opportunity for people who used to be really good at esports and, you know, now are no longer in the competitive circuit, but would like to continue working within the industry. Um, they can uh, you know, join up with us as, uh, you know, either a coach or a manager, or do some kind of internal administration um, and continue to utilize those uh, esports skills that they were uh, they were able to hone. Because you referenced the global presence of the sport at the moment within the United States, is there a certain saturated population that is very receptive to it? Uh, you know, I I would say it's definitely um, concentrated around the uh, you know metro areas uh, because of the uh, infrastructure that you need in order to put on a, a good esports uh, event. Um, however, that doesn't preclude, you know, people who are more remote. However, um, you know, the denser populated areas uh, have greater opportunity of finding esports players. Uh, what we've found right now uh, is that there are pockets uh, in the U.S. that are uh, highly concentrated with, uh, you know, esports professionals. That would be uh, California, Texas, uh, here in the southeast, in, in the Greenville, Atlanta metro area. And then, of course, in the Northeast, in the, the New York, New Jersey, uh, in uh, Massachusetts area. Um, but when it comes to um, the proliferation of esports, uh, the U.S. is really behind, uh, especially uh, in Korea, China, Japan, um, those those places where, again, the, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure already built up. There's been a lot of um, you know, just cultural influences around you know, being good at uh, technology and esports in general. Um, so, you know, we, we actually do have a little bit of catch up to do, but uh, we're going to get there. If a student is listening at the moment and they're wondering what is the investment for them, is it a sport that costs money for them to continue investing in, in terms of practice, buying the games or attending the events? Uh, yeah, there is a bit on that end. Um, the titles, uh, there are several titles that are that are long running, if you will. Um, but there's also uh, the potential of brand new games coming out that would have to be purchased. Um, but their investment is also a time investment. They need to put in just like you would any other sport. The practice time, um, it would be really a really good idea for them to have some sort of a coach that would te- that would be able to teach them uh, more along direct direct routes. Um, and then of course attending events. So there are <clears throat> typically tournaments of pretty much every game title outside of organized esports that they should be able to join. And a lot of those do have a bit of a fee attached to them. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a combination of, of uh, mon- monetary investment and time investment for them. If you had to pick anything that you would like to change in the industry, what would it be and why? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost want to say yeah. uh, player representation. Um, that is one thing that so so on, on a lot of these professional <laughs> esports teams. So th- these are teams where the players are paid to be on the team. They are paid a living wage or beyond in order to be on the team. But it, it is such a pressure related situation that, um, you know, they can they can potentially be kicked off the team 
if they do not perform well enough to stay there. Um, and so I, I, I believe there have been situations where even, you know, a, a single bad season or a, a single bad game, people can be dismissed. So whereas in like football or any of those other sports, you've got a contract between player and team that is has a level of guaranteed funds and or time. Um, I think there needs to be some sort of representation like that for the players in esports to make it a more uh, more inviting space for them. Evan, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I think that problem will uh, eventually be solved once uh, more investors enter the esports space. So there's more opportunities for those players. Uh, right now, it's very cutthroat because there aren't that many um, slots available on professional teams. And um, they're all, like Ron said, under pressure to produce. Um, so, yeah, if there's uh, something that uh, can be done about, uh, I don't know, like players, organizations uh, or associations like there are um, in all of the major sports that can help uh, negotiate long term contracts and things like that, um, I think that would really go a long way. Um, but it, the uh, one of the major things that uh, I'd like to see change and is one of the things that we're working on is uh, more opportunities at the lower levels, you know, getting um, players involved in organized esports a lot sooner so that they're you know better trained coming out and there are additional or there are more opportunities for them uh, at the higher levels. Virtual Reload is also our events company. How many events do you host throughout the year and what would be a, considered a large headcount? So we have hosted um quite a few. We've probably we're probably talking about one event a week on average for us right now. Um and then we've had uh we've had an event with 250 people. No, not that many, sorry. I think it was like 150 people that had come, and that's a pretty good turnout for us. Some of the events I know in sports are scheduled way ahead in advance. It could be up to a year or beyond. How far in advance are you planning your events that people need to plan to attend? Um, anywhere from one to in one month to sometimes four months ahead. We'll have, we'll have things on the calendar. Yeah, that's nowadays. It's definitely helped to have um, several events under our belt now so that we can make organization go a lot smoother. Are there any new initiatives and projects that you're working on that people should keep an eye out on? Um, well, we are, uh, we're starting to get more into working with colleges directly, providing them title coaches. That is definitely one of the needs that exists that, that a college may have a head coach for the esports team or the esports organization, but they don't have uh, specific game title coaches. So that's one thing we're offering and we're getting more into that space. Um, and then we are also planning a couple of major events for the summer. Um, we're partnering with the Southeast Game Exchange to run their Smash Brothers tournament this year in the middle of July. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I would also say, um, you know, private leagues as well. So you know, you have um, year-round leagues for other sports that are run independently from a school, and it's mostly uh, geographical. So we're looking at setting up uh, leagues geographically that uh, kids can join in order to get some experience, both coaching and playing um, in uh, weekly games and uh, larger-scale tournaments. So um, if you would you know have any listeners who would like to you know start up a league uh, in their local area or currently belong to a college or university that uh, has a program where you're thinking of starting a program and would like some uh, you know help getting that started and then also some help finding a coach for that uh, we, we can definitely help out in this area because the sport is so much in demand and you have partnered with at least a running list and it's growing of 20 universities and more I'm sure they're all accredited. Are you selling to them or are they trying to get on your roster? 
to participate? We are currently selling to the colleges. Yeah, we um what, that is one of the things we uh are, are planning to do in the future of hosting some conferences. Um, but at the moment we're um more along the lines of trying to gain some collegiate uh clients and provide them that. Because of the work that you're doing, that is gaining recognition even on a global stage. What are some incentives for corporations to become a sponsor? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, you know. We have a very unique audience right now that isn't being reached by um, you know, advertisements or, or sponsorships of other um, you know, venues, so to speak, because they, again, are a community that has largely gone, um, I guess, uh, you know, unnoticed, so to speak. Uh, you can find them uh, you know, on Twitch or YouTube and uh, in Discord servers right now. They're a very large community, but again... Um, aren't really being, um, you know, advertised to as much as they possibly could be. Uh, so if you're looking for a specific age range, uh, you know, starting in elementary school up to, you know, 35, uh, I would say is a, a pretty average gamer, um, then, uh, you know, a, a sponsorship with Virtual Reload of either an event, um, you know, locally or any type of uh, equipment that you know, a gamer would like to, uh, you know, purchase at some point. There are a lot of, um, you know, apparel uh, companies out there and uh, equipment companies as well, PC, console, uh, you know, all the peripherals, keyboards, mice, headsets, you name it, um, that uh, they would have a you know great uh, audience that is currently uh, going relatively untapped. For any parent out there listening at the moment and their child wants to get started, what would be the first two steps that you would recommend them to seek out to participate? Man, uh, that is a great question. And again, yeah, there's not many resources out there where you can just go, hey, esports in my, my local town, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, it all, it, so right now is uh, word of mouth mainly. So, um, yeah, I have a, a son, he's seven years old. Uh, if I wanted to get him into esports right now, I'd uh, ask him, you know, what are some of the games that uh, the kids in your school are playing right now? Um, ask them what kind of systems that they have. Um, I know right now uh, the Nintendo Switch is very popular in that age range, and there are lots of eSport games that are associated with the Switch, specifically like Super Smash Brothers, for example, um, that would be uh, you know, a good title to get them started in. Uh, and you know, I would encourage somebody in that age range just to find uh, the system and the type of game that you like, uh, you know, whether it's uh, the Battle Royales or the shooters or um, you know, one of the, the fighting games or one of the sports related games, something a little bit older, uh, you know, there will be some more word of mouth, especially at the, you know, the high school or collegiate uh, range. And typically by then um, they, they know what types of games that they like. They know what types of systems that they're on. Um, so they would have asked for a PlayStation or Xbox by this point. And you'll know as a parent, like where they spend most of their time. If they're a PC gamer, they're spending most of their time on the computer. And uh, so you're just asking them like what titles that they're interested in. And then, um, you know, you can, uh, you know, search by that title for your area, like League of Legends, things like that, and find matches for them to, to attend. Right now, that is one of the, um, one of the things that the esports community does do well is have invitational tournaments. So uh, once you know what title that they're interested in, then you can start looking up like, well, are there any invitational tournaments? Um, and then probably, especially if you're uh, you don't live in proximity of a, a metropolitan area, you might have to travel quite a while. But um, you know, if you are um, you know close by, uh, let's use League of Legends for example. Um, there are a lot of uh, invitational tournaments for League of Legends that they could participate uh, 
possibly participate in. Um, there are also uh, some online organizations as well that you can do a, a virtual tournament. So, uh, yeah, I, I would start there with, you know, what um, type of gamer they are, console or PC, and um, figuring out which um, titles that they really, you know, gravitate towards. And then, um, you know, if they're really uh, talented, you can also look up esports coaching and hopefully virtual reload would be one of the first things that, that pops up through the search. If we're doing this search engine optimization thing correctly. Regarding the games themselves, does virtual reload create any of them? If not, is there a vetting process of someone who assesses which games are going to be included in the competition? So we don't create any of the games, do all the guidance and that sort of thing. Um, the vetting side comes down to the age group we're talking about, right? So uh, high school and middle school would be um, games that are not quite as, as realistic, if you will. So like they might choose Fortnite as a as a battle royale or Rocket League for soccer, right? And then when you get to that college and beyond level, then you'd be talking about things like Call of Duty, where they're a little bit more realistic. So that, that vetting side comes down to uh, what is the organization we're talking to? What is their desire? Um, for the image they want to put forth, because even certain colleges will only do certain titles depending on their uh, the image they want to have. And hypothetically, have you run into any scenario where certain games are considered to be too violent or they don't serve the end users need that they may be banned? Um, not so much overall. Like We kind of go by what is the industry doing as far as the games we're going to provide services in. Um, so it's really like there's kind of a known set of about 20 games um, that are that are at that at that level, and then it's just a matter of picking from those titles what this particular organization wants to run games in. To, again, depending on who we're talking. Yeah, and we kind of follow the stream in in that respect. So the the esports industry overall will typically decide what they want to put their money behind by a user count. So they know at any given time how many players are playing online matches against one another and things like that. And so the they know that's where the advertisement dollars are, and those are the popular titles at the moment. Uh, and usually the colleges and universities will follow suit uh, because they want to be associated with those titles. And so for you know, high school and middle school, uh, we'll say, you know, these are the, the titles that are currently popular at the next level where you might be able to get a, a, a scholarship. So we would recommend, you know, if you were into battle royales, um, for example, these particular titles here would be the ones that you should, you know, concentrate on practicing and getting coaching in. A bit of focus on the coaches. Are they the ones who play the role of moderators in the official competitions to regulate people's performance to rate and rank it compared to the physical sports where people could see if there is a foul? Um, no, the coach's role is not that. The, um, in fact, in our current situation with our uh, college client, um, some of the some of the matches don't allow the coaches to be actively speaking with the players in the middle of the match. Um, however, so so as far as moderating side of it, there is someone who will typically view or spectate that game to confirm that nobody is doing anything that shouldn't be done. And that's just that's its own role, but that does exist, kind of like a referee. Yeah. It, it's much more difficult to cheat uh, if you're using, you know, equipment provided by a school or an organization. But unfortunately, that is one of the barriers to entry for esports right now. A lot of the schools aren't doing that, so they're relying on a lot of the equipment being brought by the players themselves, which does make it a little bit easier to cheat. Um, so they. Tournament organizers, which is one of the things that uh, Virtual Reload does, where a tournament organizer will typically have moderators and 
um, people viewing the, the streams of the players to make sure that none of that is happening. But that is typically on the shoulders of the tournament organizer. For, for colleges right now, there are other outsourced companies that are providing tournament organization services. Um, so uh, like the, the Peach Belt, for example, uh, the particular conference will um, have outsourced that to um, uh, companies like uh, Battlefy, I think is one of them, um, that provides strictly tournament organization services in uh, you know, those types of personnel. Yeah, uh, final uh, thoughts hmm? on virtual reload and any events coming up that you would like to share with the audience? Um, yeah, I mean, our, our goal, our primary goal is to bring esports down to the level of the middle and high school age to kind of give them that leg up into into organized esports. Um, you know, if you go from high school without having been on a team into the college scene, and now all of a sudden you have to be coached and you may not have been used to that, that can be a difficult curve to cross. So that's something we want to bring bring in at a lower age. And then the other side of this upcoming events, we actually have um, events planned with Dave and Busters in Concord, North Carolina. <clears throat> so I think our next date is going to be March 11th. Uh, that will be up there. And then the other big date to keep in mind is July 15th here in Greenville. The Southeast Game Exchange will be a massive, uh, what is that, Smash Brothers tournament that will be hosted. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, to, to add on to that, we're looking to also you know, provide opportunities for you know, players of esports who are good at esports but not necessarily uh, have found a home, a home uh, with other uh, extracurricular activities. I and mean, a lot of the uh, schools that we've talked to that have seen a need for this and uh, you know, understand how important it could be say that, uh, you know, agree that there is a, definitely an underserved uh, market out there for uh, young people who could greatly benefit from uh, participation in an extracurricular activity and just don't have the same um, opportunities as some of the other more athletically inclined kids. So we want to be able to even the uh, the playing field there. So, you know, if you know a gamer who's, uh, you know, really uh, talented that could potentially benefit from, uh, you know, an opportunity like that, let us know. We'll help you uh, create an, uh, a program in your area. Uh, if you belong to a school and you'd like to start an esports program there, we can also help consult on that. Um, and, you know, if you would like to, you know, help see esports succeed and uh, we're looking for an investment opportunity, we'd also be interested in talking to you as well. And people are welcome to go to virtualreload.com. Absolutely. Yes, that's our main website. Yes. Now, Ron, what are the, the social media handles? Uh, Twitch and Facebook are the Virtual Reload. And then Twitter and Instagram are just Virtual Reload. Thank you, Evan and Ron, for sharing an overview of Virtual Reload. Yeah, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. it.